Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everyone. Happy Sunday. I always look forward to January. I have to tell you, you would think as a minister every year doing back to basics in January that it would get boring, that I wouldn't have anything new to say. Well, you know, maybe you don't know me well enough. I always have something new to say. This year, my tact is going to be a little bit different. You know, we're called the science of mind, right? And so I thought this year we would have a little bit of fun talking about science, even as we cover the basics of the science of mind philosophy. Today, the talk is entitled The Thing Itself. And the first four Sundays of the year, we use the first four chapters of the Science of Mind textbook. The first chapter is entitled the thing itself and of course the thing itself is spirit is god and in science of mind we define god as all there is in fact the the unity principle is what we're going to be talking about today the idea that everything is god now think about that just for a minute most of the world's religions do talk about god as being omnipresent But being present everywhere does sound a little different than the claim that God is everything. Now, if you say that God is everything, well, then by definition, God is everywhere, right? Because no matter where you are, there is God. So God is present. God is omniscient. But we do that little little extra piece of it by saying God is everything, every person, every place, everything, every idea. Uh, nowhere in the the multiverse. I'm trying to get as big as I can today. In fact, one of my uh, challenges for you all is how big can you make your idea of God? If God truly is everything, that's big. I mean, it's infinity big, right? And how often do we actually think of spirit as that big, as that powerful, as that all-encompassing, as that all-inclusive. Not very often. Most of us are saddled with an idea of God that comes from long ago. And I'm going to ask uh, actually for some volunteers to help me illustrate today. Most of our ideas of God come from our early imaginings of guess what? how the heavens work. And Nancy, would you come up and and just stand right here, if you don't mind. My friend Nancy here is going to represent the sun, (laughs) if you don't mind. But I do think of you as the center of our solar system often. Uh, I mean, oh my gosh, she does so many things here at the center. It's only appropriate that you're the center of the universe. And you know what? That is the way ancient peoples really viewed the sun. They viewed it as the center of the universe. And in fact, if you ask even a child today who hasn't any particular religious affiliation at all, but has been out in uh, public schools long enough to have at least talked a little bit about spirituality, if you ask where God is, where does the child, yeah, up, guess why? It's because early humans viewed the life-giving presence of the Creator always as the sun. 
And so it's not surprising at all that that has carried on to somehow our idea that we, we look up when we think of spirit. But there's a danger there. If we look up, it implies what? That God isn't right here with us, right? And so, although it makes perfect sense that early humanity would look up (laughs) uh, to God, uh, that idea of the creator in the sky, that life-giving force, that that force that brought warmth, that brought the change of the seasons. I mean, everyone identified the success of the crops and all of those things with God. That's why the Egyptians, the, the highest God was Ra, the sun God, right? Because it literally brought every new day into being. Every change was responsible by the sun. And so it's not surprising that that all of the major world's religions, that, that enculturated part of us, you know, where is God? We don't look around, although we could, right? Instead, we tend to look up. I'm going to carry on with this metaphor, if you don't mind, for a minute. Um, could I have our board of directors president to represent Mother Earth? <laughs> I know, I know, a little corny. I'd ask you to stand right about where that pole is, if you don't mind. I'm going to do something a little bit interesting today, because part of our idea of getting God, the idea of God to be bigger, is even to measure distances. And I want to say, I'm actually doing the planet's in scale today. Now it's a very small scale. Let this represent the distance between, so I need you just to, to switch, yeah. So this is one astronomical unit. If you're an astronomer, you know that the distance between the sun and planet Earth is considered an astronomical unit. And the reason they came up with that is because the distances are so ridiculously large that it's hard for us to get our mind around it. Guess what that distance is? Well, here I have three feet of toilet paper. (laughs) But an astronomical unit is 93 million miles. So you can see why it's easier just to say, oh, it's one AU, right? Because if I start giving you numbers like 93 million miles, you're going to go like, well, it's further than like to New York City, but, you know, what does that even mean? Okay, next up, is there some brave person here that wouldn't mind representing Mars for me? Do I have any volunteer? Yeah, come on up if you would. That would be great. You have the honor of being the... Uh, being Mars. So Nancy, do you have another hand here? And notice we're in scale. So of course, Mars is further away. And that's, that's perfect. Thank you, Sarah. Now, what do you notice about this? First of all, Mar- Mars is the, the closest planet to us, right? And we talk about someday having a manned mission to Mars. It's not that far. It's only another foot of toilet paper away from the sun. Well, I mean, I know we're laughing. I, 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 I get that, and it's, and it's okay. But it is reasonable to think. Now, we've made it to the moon already. If I were to mark off on one of these pieces of toilet paper where the moon is, where would you think that might be? the moon would be on the same piece of toilet paper that she's holding. So the moon, super close. So really, a a leap out, a, a foot, 
versus just like her fingernail on that piece of paper. So to go to Mars will be a big deal. It really will. But what's the next planet out? Now, we do have some asteroids in here. There used to be a planet there. Something unknown to us came and destroyed an entire planet in our solar system. It's called the asteroid belt now. The next one on is what? Jupiter. Jupiter. I need one more volunteer who wouldn't mind being Jupiter. Yeah, come on up, Sandy. I'd appreciate it. You'll get to retire shortly here, I promise. <laughs> and, and I don't want any speculation about what happens to this toilet paper afterwards. <laughs> it's a small amount. You're going to have to hold on to one more piece of paper, dear. So, so yeah, just go down the aisle there. Bye. 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 Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> All right, so using our same per perfect scale replica... <laughs> of the solar system here. We got Sandy out at 15 feet representing Jupiter. Big difference, right? We talk about exploring the outer rim of the, uh, the solar system. It's pretty unlikely. The amount of fuel necessary to go the distance between Mars, I, I mean, they would actually have to have more fuel than what exists in like all of our economy today to get a spaceship that would go that far. If, if we use current propulsion systems, if we use the same kind of technology that got us to the moon and the same kind of technology that will probably sometime, maybe still in our lifetime, get us to Mars, it would take twice that much and, and an obscene amount of fuel to get us to the next nearest planet. So now I think I need some help with the outer planets. Um, uh, would you, yeah, come on up. Come on up. Yeah, we gotta get you hooked up to Nancy here. All right, th thanks for your help. <laughs> so, so this is Daniel and Mai's annual supply that lasts an entire year. And guess what? If we were to make toilet paper trips to the, the four outer planets, we would need more toilet paper than this. They are so, so, so far away. All right, th thank you all. You're, you're free. We can, we can wrap up our toilet paper here. You, you all can you can you all can be safely seated again. <laughs> Guess what? Are you aware that there's a planet X? Now, not too long ago, uh, poor Pluto was demoted. Can you imagine a, a, a planet that I was trained a, 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 as like the final planet in the solar system recently? It got reclassified as a planetoid. So we don't even get to call poor Pluto a planet anymore. But did you know there's also a planet X that we've never seen that we will probably not be ever able to see? And yet scientists know that it's there. Now here's where we start getting straying over, I think, from science into spirituality. Guess how they know it's there? 
Yes, I love it. I have a science buff in our congregation today. They know it's there because it has an invisible effect on other celestial objects. Now think about this for a minute. It's a thing that we can't see. It's a thing that we only can imagine exists because of something called natural laws, uh, orbital mechanics and gravity being those natural laws. And yet most of the scientists in the world agree that it has to exist because of the way that it affects other things. Am I talking about a planet or am I talking about spirituality? Yeah, exactly, both. We believe what we believe in the science of mind, not because I can devise some kind of a visual proof for you that God exists, not because I can do something that you could see or touch or taste very easily, and yet, in the same way that a scientist might believe in Planet X, in fact, they're thinking of coming up with names. They're thinking of doing a contest to give it a proper name. Something that they can't even prove exists yet, right? Why is that any different than our belief that God is everything? Well, I'm not done yet. I, I kind of freaked you out a little bit with the idea of mapping just the outer planets in our solar system using our, our perfectly to scale toilet paper system. Uh, but what if I were to say we want to continue our toilet paper metaphor to the nearest other star? Now, so far we've been talking about the sun and early people as that being the, the, the view of this is the center of the universe. This must be God, this shining orb in the sky that provides uh, life to us, that gives us warmth, that gives us heat, that allows photosynthesis, that allows crops. You know, that's why we look up in the sky. But when we looked up in the sky in ancient times, we never thought that those twinkling lights at night might be someone else's son. Do you see now how our metaphor starts getting a little wonky? How can that God that we look up to in the sky, other beings on other planets, they're looking at different stars. How does that get covered by our notion of God as a kind of an anthropomorphic uh, super person that lives up in the sky and looks down benevolently on us and, and vaguely judges and encourages us? It kind of falls apart a little bit, doesn't it? Let's get back, though, to toilet paper for one, one last go here. So the nearest star is 24 1,863 billion miles away. And if we were to measure that in toilet paper, <laughs> it would be 804,000 feet of toilet paper, which you know goes about a, a third of the way around the circumference of the Earth. In other words, it's more toilet paper than exists in the world right now. It would require all of the toilet paper in order to give an idea to get to the nearest star. And you know what? In the cosmos, the nearest star is the tip of the iceberg. 
there are things called galaxies. You know, uh, w- one of my favorite things to do, especially when I'm at the coast, if it's fairly dark out, is to, to go out on a clear night and see our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. And it, you can absolutely see why it's called that, right? It looks like a, a glorious milk wash of stars that, that goes directly overhead. And when there's little light pollution, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. But guess what? Just from the Hubble telescope, the humble, getting elderly Hubble telescope, even it has found 100 billion galaxies. Guess how many miles of toilet paper it would take? So, so the, nearest, <laughs> the nearest other galaxy is the Andromeda galaxy. Actually, there are two others that are closer, but, that, but like Pluto, they got demoted. <laughs> They're not considered full galaxies. The closest full galaxy is Andromeda. It would require, and, and I have to read this to make sure I get it right, it would require 1 billion, 17 million, 589,000 miles of toilet paper. That, that's more toilet paper that if you used every tree on the planet just to make toilet paper, there wouldn't be enough. That, that is God. Now, I don't want to disbar or dismay or dismantle anyone's idea, your personal idea of what God is. But I would suggest it's not big enough. I would suggest if we have lingering in the back of our minds the idea of God as as some fellow in the sky looking down and judging us, it's simply not what we believe in the science of mind. In the science of mind, we believe that God is everywhere, not just here on earth, not just in our solar system, not just in the Milky Way galaxy. God is everything and everywhere. There is no power that exists outside of God. There is no light or joy or consciousness that exists outside of God. Next week and the following week, we're going to talk about our input into that because God, of course, is also indwelling. God isn't just out there. God is right where we are, even including our own very thoughts and ideas. We, too, are part of this infinity that is God. Well, I know that some of you, uh, maybe one of you, looks forward to my Sunday joke. So um, I hope it's more than one, but we'll find out today anyway. So the children were lined up in the cafeteria of a Catholic elementary school for lunch. At the head of the table was a large pile of apples. Well, a nun was standing by the apple tray to warn the kids, you know, there's only enough for you to take one today. Remember, God is watching. Well, moving further along the lunch line, at the other end of the table were some of the desserts. One child whispered to another as she picked up about a dozen chocolate chip cookies, take all you want. I heard that God is watching the apples today. (laughs) And so if God is omnipresent, if God is omniscient, if God is omnipotent, if those three omnis that nearly all the world's religions hold to be true, 
God can't just be watching the apples because God is the apples. But God is also the nun. God is also the child. God is also the chocolate chip cookies. God is this entire universe. This entire multiverse. We only can just imagine that there is one universe, and yet modern scientists have predicted that we probably exist in a multiverse of at least 17 separate universes. It's the math again. It's our belief. It's our trust in scientific principles. Even as here today, I'm asking you to trust and believe in spiritual principles. So I know we're going to have some fun this particular month as we continue talking about the science of mind. I hope to draw a little bit of more science into the, the next uh, three lessons as we cover the three chapters. I hope you've enjoyed our toilet paper universe today. Uh, and I do have some homework for you. My homework is simple. How do you think of God right now? You've had a little bit of, a, of an idea of how I explain God, of how I view God. You've heard me talk about the three omnis, all-powerful, all-wise, present everywhere, and how that re reflects in the idea of God being truly everything. What does God mean to you? And then once you've uh, puzzled through that a bit, whether it's in journaling or contemplation, uh, whether maybe you discuss it over with a loved one, then my challenge comes, can you make it bigger? Can you make it more powerful? Can you make it more personal? Can you make it more wise? This idea of science of mind is huge. And I don't want any of you to be shortchanged in your beliefs. Let me close with a, a final quote from the first chapter of the Science of Mind textbook here. And, uh, and of course, a prayer. Cosmic mind, the thing itself, spirit, causation, is beyond and yet not beyond our grasp. It's beyond in that it is so big but also within, in that whatever we grasp at it, we are. Since it is infinite, we can never encompass all of it. And yet, and yet, we shall always be in God and of God. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one light, one life, one joy, one peace. There is only this one thing, and it is gloriously everything. It is every person, every place, everything, every situation. It is this world and beyond. It is this galaxy and beyond. It is the multiverse and probably things that have not even been postulated by our wonderful science. It is all. And what I know about this all is that it is all good that it is experiencing its own life through us, through the joy that we experience, through the intelligence that we have. In coming weeks, we'll be talking more about the ideas of evolution and how God works through us to accomplish God's work in the world. But for now, but for now, I just claim that bigness. I simply claim that God is all there is, omniscient, 
omnipotent, omnipresent. And so I give thanks for this surety. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Now is our time of conscious giving. If you'd like to take out your gift or your tithe, those of you who are online, I invite you to go to our website, cslportland.org donate. However you'd like to give to us, please know how appreciated it is. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.